Welcome to The Upshot, Cultural Disc Golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I'm the editor, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me, as always, is Josh Mansfield. And on Sunday, we had an enormous sporting event. Uh, people watching from around the world. And uh, it was the conclusion of the Disc Golf Pro Tour All-Star Weekend, Josh. Uh, a, a thrilling finish particularly in MPO. We're going to break down everything that has to do with this event. But before we get to that, really quickly, how about that halftime show at the Super Bowl? It was excellent. I will say the one funny thing, though, I saw a meme where it's someone said, so what, we get in the hologram Tupac next? And then there was the Pawn Stars guy who says, best I can do is an upside down 50 cent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was for the hilarious. most part, though. I thought the show was excellent. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, one of the best halftime shows I remember. So the upside down 50 cent thing, like they had the cool like camera, like rotate and pan down. And so then it's like, oh, it's 50 because you knew they were going to have a cameo of some kind. Right. And they played like one of the iconic dr dre beats ever uh-huh. um and you know i thought 50 did a great job with the performance but it was weird to have <laughs> him just like hanging from the ceiling uh but you know super bowl overall interesting game uh-huh. Bengals covered the spread i was happy about that uh but man it felt felt like they let one slip away josh you know uh I think that if Bo- Joe Burrow doesn't get a full new offensive line this next season, he should find a different team. Yeah, they got to uh, like draft for left tackle like straight away. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, being completely honest, it, it was seven sacks. Joe Burrow, by flipping that pass out on the final play of the game, avoided the eighth, which would have been a Super Bowl record Ooh. for most sacks in the Super Bowl. So uh, Joe Burrow got just pummeled again. Uh, and I said from the beginning, that's what's going to be his problem. It was an excellent game. That's all I was hoping for. I think there are amazing storylines on both sides and I'm happy Matthew Stafford got a ring. I had a lot of money riding on Cooper cup, scoring a touchdown. He scored two. It would have been even better if he scored the first one, but, uh, Odell pulling down the first touchdown of the game. Yeah. Um, but shout out to Cooper cup. That guy is a real problem. Um, (laughs) Let's let's get into this All-Star weekend. So we're going to break this thing down from basically every angle. And hopefully, uh, if, if you're a subscriber, you got to catch our post-draft analysis that we did live in the Discord on Thursday night, which was a lot of fun. Uh, as I mentioned on Thursday's show, we're going to be doing a lot more live, uh, live-to-tape airings of our subscriber bonus segments, particularly after Elite Series events. So after LVC... On Sunday night, we're going to sit down and we're going to do a, a, a rapid react show where we just break down what we just saw. Uh, and that's just, you know, we're we're less than two weeks away now. I mean, it's it's February 15th and this tournament starts on February 24th, which is uh, which is nine days from today. So we are almost ready for official disc golf. We got things kicked off, though, this weekend with some unofficial disc golf at the All Star Weekend. We're going to talk a uh, big picture recap. Biggest surprises, we're going to review the format and the course and the the live coverage on DGN. We're also going to talk about our takeaways as we head into the rest of the season. Um, And and I'm surprised, Josh, at how many takeaways I feel that there are. I feel like because of particularly this sort of head-to-head singles format where we had kind of standard round being played, stroke play, the opportunity to like see how players look was actually really present and players were playing hard and wanted to win and you know didn't want to lose to their fellow competitor i mean it was pretty like players are pretty serious out there all things considered which you know i I think is always interesting you know see how players take an all-star event i mean people were getting mad when they went out of bounds and like it didn't feel substantially different than watching players play at a regular tournament I completely agree. And I think the other thing that adds to the ability to do takeaways is oftentimes players, when they go into a weekend, have kind of where we expect them to finish, right? And then where they finish relative to that spot, as long as they're within so many standard deviations, and this isn't an exact science, this is just based on 
feeling and observation, then you kind of think, oh, yeah, okay, that's expected, right? So-and-so, we expect Kevin Jones to finish top five. He finished 10th. Okay, that's that's fine. But when it's head-to-head and a player underperforms or gets beat by several strokes, it's pretty notable. And so I think it was really easy to go down each of those matchups and create takeaways from them because they weren't just lost in the overall rankings and then we're us being focused on the top because the top was worth just as much as the bottom and so it kept us interested and engaged with every point and i mean the players knew that too so it it was an interesting format and i think a really nice season preview so let's just break down the basics team calvin getting the win over team eagle seven six the final score after team calvin pulled out Four of the seven wins in singles play. They came into the final day tied at 3-3 after the doubles and the skills competition portions of the event. Uh, And it it was a very exciting back and forth round. I mean, the scores were kind of going back and forth, 7-6, 6-7 the whole time. And Eagle McMahon, well outside of circle two on the 18th hole, basically has to make make it from I don't know it's hard to estimate from the video but it's probably like a hundred feet and he is obstructed behind a tree kind of a low ceiling and he throws it in I mean the guy throws it in it's unbelievable one of the best shots of the weekend just cans this putt to flip the pressure to Calvin Heimberg because they're the final card coming in and uh, if so if Calvin who's at the edge of the circle with an difficult uphill putt if he misses it's going to a playoff and calvin ice in his veins just buries it just cashes it in and shoots the best round of the day in singles uh beats eagle by a stroke and claims the victory for team calvin over an fpo team katrina pulls off the enormous upset over team page uh page pierce widely considered to have the best team after the draft uh, we put a poll up on twitter more than 90 percent of people picked team page to win before the start of the event and not so team katrina despite trailing by a point heading into the si- singles uh, on sunday comes away with four wins to team pages two and gets the win um a uh, a, a big upset to be sure but uh, some really impressive performances from the team up and down the weekend and uh, you know we'll talk a little bit about why I think the format played into that a little bit later in the show but um, you know what what a finish for, you know the final poll basically I love this trend by the way in disc golf right now just like epic drama on the 18th hole of the you know the final round uh, final round quote unquote in, in this case uh, but uh, Eagle with the crazy shot, Calvin with the uh, with the answer, and uh, a really fun finish to a fun weekend. It definitely delivered. And at the beginning, I was uh, a little bit critical of just kind of the structure. Um, I, I thought it was, but it, it really did deliver the entertainment that I think I, it was it was hyped up to do. And I, I think it's it's a good signal for the all-star event moving forward uh and for the season right it was it was close it was exciting there was good golf it it may not have been a pro tour event but i think it was still what people were hoping for at the start of the season it gave us the 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 disc golf fix we needed going in for the next two weeks and and to hold us over to las vegas it was a nice appetizer for sure yeah yeah for the season um i mean the highlight if, if you don't I think you could pick Eagle shot and call it the number one highlight from the weekend. I would not begrudge you if you made that choice. But the uh, the shot that's really been reverberating uh, made it all the way to the Sports Center top 10. Nico Locastro hitting an ace on a 536 foot shot. I mean, just he throws a massive hyzer way out around the trees. You can't even see the disc. And, and then, you know, you're looking way, way down to the green disc hits, <laughs> skips up and in. Uh, I mean, that's going to be in the shot of the year contest, and we, we're we just getting started. You know, it's it's the b- very first event of 2022, and we have a shot of the year candidate. 
Uh, just a, an incredible shot from Nikola Castro, who just goes berserk on the T-pad, is like sprinting all around, gets knocked down, does a barrel roll, gets back up, runs all the way down to the green. Um, and like even the Nico haters were like, all right, respect. That was a pretty sweet shot. <laughs> I, I will say the one thing I did see on Facebook, someone someone said, I mean, that was an amazing shot and all, but does somebody have a timer on that celebration? <laughs> But no, shout out to Nico. It was it was an amazing shot. And Nico repping his new sponsor at that time as well. New sponsor for Nico LaCastro. Everybody was wondering, what's the deal? And in the press conference before the event, he announced that he's going to a mixed bag. He'll be throwing... He has two sponsorships, one with Gateway. Of course, he's been with Gateway off and on for many years. His uncle runs Gateway. And Clash Discs out of Finland, who's been getting a bunch of press... From the fact that that they have this big big player big name player sponsorship now, um, a smaller company in Finland, so uh, you know, Nico didn't look like he missed a beat. I mean, he was feeling great this weekend. He he really was. I think Nico was one of the players who I think overperformed where people were expecting, and and not to say, I mean, I think he played relatively close to his rating. But I think the expectation was that there was going to be a little bit more rust or just not as clean because of the off-season drama with not having a sponsor, the weird cut from West Side. Um, and, and so Nico did not seem bothered by that at all going into this weekend. But, uh, you know, we, one of the storylines, of course, heading into this weekend was how would players look who have new bags throwing new plastic? I, I would say it was a pretty mixed bag. You know, we yeah. saw some players look really sharp. Katrina Allen, probably most notably, and, you know, throwing DGA and just looking totally comfortable out there. Uh, shot the best round in singles and j- just overall looked, you know, almost eclipsed Paige in the distance competition. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the distance competition in a bit. Uh, but then, you know, on the other side, you, you've got Chris Dickerson moving from Prodigy to Discraft. He did not look sharp. He did not look sharp. He was one of the lowest finishers in the singles competition and just, you know, didn't look Chris Dickerson-esque. So, uh, and then, you know, with, with lots of other stuff kind of mixed in and around, um, and we'll, we'll talk about a bunch of the players as we go through this uh, episode today. But, you know, not, I don't think there's any, like, obvious single trend line about how players react to new bags, which is not surprising because that's pretty much the trend we've seen the, the lack of trend that we've seen over the last few years when players make the switch. Yeah, it, it depends all on that amount of time they've been able to work with it. And I, I agree that I don't think there's a huge storyline to take away for any overall trend, but definitely some individual players that I'm sure I know we're about to get into. So let's talk about the biggest surprises from the weekend. There's plenty of stuff that I think, you know, made a lot of sense kind of what we expected to see but let's talk about the biggest surprises josh i think we have to start with team katrina getting the win over team page did you see this coming we scored this in our uh preview show or or in our draft reaction show that we did for subscribers we scored it just going through the matchups each individual event kind of mapping out what we thought the doubles teams would be looking through the singles matchups we scored it 11 to 2 for page pierce Paige came out and said they should they, they on Instagram and said they're going to sweep Team Katrina. Instead, they lose seven six to Team Cat. How did this happen? Team Katrina has a couple of players that are veterans in the sport that have long experience and that I think aren't making as many headlines, but we easily forget that they still are excellent players. Uh, the combination of two things. That's, this is the first thing, right? Jessica Weiss, Lisa Fakus, they looked excellent. Katrina, and we said Katrina could come back and, and upset Paige. That was a very real possibility. But with the new bag, we, we weren't thinking it was going to happen. And so for Katrina to come out and do it was impressive. So just demonstrating. And then, of course, uh, you know, Sarah Hokum, just lots of veterans who played really, really well. And then, on the other hand, you also have Deanne Carey, who looked amazing. Um, so, you got players who are playing above their their typical 
rating, I guess, and, and where you would expect them. So I think it was kind of those combo of two things that Team Katrina was able to, to take down the win. But I, I definitely voted on Team Page in the Twitter. And when we broke down the show, we definitely thought it was going to go the other way and by a substantial margin. And I think a lot of people did. Yeah. So, you know, Team Katrina picks up a point in the Friday skills competition when Sarah Hokum and Rebecca Cox beat out Haley King and Madison Walker in the accuracy competition. That actually doesn't surprise me. I didn't really know. I didn't really think that I thought this was going to be the weakest spot for Team Page, and it was. Uh, otherwise, they won distance. Uh, Team Page won distance in putting. And in doubles, they end up splitting because each team wins one matchup and uh, there's a tie. And so then we get to singles. Team Page has a lead. And look, I mean, just straight up, Katrina beat Page by three strokes. Sarah Hokum beat Missy Gannon by two strokes. Lisa Fakus beat Kona Panis. And then Deanne Carey gets the win over Heather Young by a stroke. Now, that certainly was the biggest surprise. And really, you could argue that that was the linchpin matchup. Now, obviously, any of them could have flipped and gone the other way. But the other ones all make a lot of sense. I think you're like, okay, I see that. Let me tell you this, Josh. Before today, or before Sunday, I should say, Deanne Carey was 1-21 all time against Heather Young at tournaments where they both competed. We, we looked at that stat. That's right. In our yep. sub-bonus sub segment. Only yeah. once had she topped Heather Young at a tournament. I looked it up. That tournament was the most recent tournament played. The Throw Pink Women's Disc Golf Championships. Wow. And Carrie finished 10th to uh, Young 17th. Well, and that's a course that's pretty lefty favorable too that's true that's a that's a big win that's a really good win and now she's got the all-star event and so i just (laughs) think people need to maybe adjust their mental models a little bit deanne carey diesel as we were reminded many times throughout the broadcast her nickname uh she's on the move i mean yeah like this is a player who could be you know, scratching on that 940, 950 door this year. And, you know, I don't know if you're going to line her up to win an Elite Series event yet, but certainly has a ton of potential uh, and, and really looked confident out there this weekend. She did. She really did. And I think when you look at just overall surprises, I think that one was, and I understand, I mean, this course probably doesn't play to Heather Young's skill suit much. But this is still, in my opinion, one one of the biggest surprises inside of the uh, Katrina upset. Oh, for sure. Um, so I, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Deanne Carey later on when we talk about some takeaways. So another surprise for me, Josh. How about Calvin Heimberg and Ezra Aderhold beating <laughs> Drew Gibson and Double G in the distance contest? Did anybody pick this? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, nobody picked it. We all. I also had a different image of what this distance contest was going to look like going in. Uh, that fairway was way more narrow than I thought it was. That was not a true distance competition. They called it an accurate distance competition, and that is certainly true because yes, <clears throat> it was like drives on a regular fairway. It was yeah. not a just you know rip grip it and rip it and it goes where it goes uh you know when when they when they when jeff spring talked about how it was going to be ob on both sides i was like okay i mean that's fair like you know you got like a 200 foot wide thing or something but no like this was just straight up golf fairway with pretty tight ob i I actually think it was a little too tight personally Uh there were a lot of drives that were going out of bounds that were not like terrible shots um and i I think that hurt both drew and double g because it just Mm -hmm. not necessarily like their skill set especially when you're coming in with a mindset of like this is a distance competition like i'm trying to just max out the shot here um neither of them even had the best 
Uh, oh, sorry. Girthy did end up having the best drive, but not by much. 661 feet, which, I mean, imagine that, like, on a tight fairway, 661. But what I think the big surprise was Calvin Heimberg shooting 654 feet on a golf line, like a straight-up yeah. classic Calvin, you know, pretty straight golf line. Uh, I I did not know that he could throw it that far. I just did not know that. <laughs> I don't even think he knew that. <laughs> It, it was really, really impressive to see how far and, and Ezra threw. I, I think Ezra threw about kind of what I was expecting. I think Drew was the big disappointment. Sure, six oh one. I mean, still, yeah. <laughs> if only I could be disappointed by a six hundred one foot drive. Uh, but yeah, yeah, given his reputation, for sure. Yeah. Um. It in. I think even if you just make it so that where the disc hits, for example, counts as the distance. Because so many of them just like would skip OB too. It's in that short golf fairway grass. So you had shots that looked amazing and they just skip out of bounds. And I, I don't know. It Calvin, it's fine. Calvin's drive got a big skip. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it it was it was fine. It wasn't what I was expecting it to be. But I think that had I known the style and the format, Ezra, I think does have a lot of control relative to other far throwers. Uh, when it comes to that distance, I'm not surprised that Calvin and Ezra set up well for this style of distance. Uh, I am also shocked that Calvin can throw that far on a golf line. Uh, and it was it was such a good shot. So sick. Like, because Garrett, Garrett, you could definitely tell. I mean, he's doing his big run up, throw it up over everything, let it flex, flippy disc, right? And, and Calvin looked like he was just playing the hole. It was it was wild. That that was a, an upset that I did not expect out of this weekend. What else surprised you? You know, this one uh, also kind of relates to Double G and Drew because you know Double G and Drew and, and Double G Ezra both shoot nine under rounds, which relative after the lead card. So Calvin and Eagle they shoot thirteen and twelve. Those are the hot rounds by a mile. You then go to nine, and it's. People who you'd expect, Garrett Gerthy, Ezra Aderhold, on a course that was very Arizona-esque. And then you have James Conrad. That surprised me a lot because we saw both on FPO as well as MPO. I mean, this course was favoring distance for being able to get inside, get good looks. And and for James to come out and be able to play, not only beat Drew, but to play that well relative to the rest of the field, I, I think it bodes really well for James to be able to be that successful on a part of the tour that we don't typically say, oh yeah, this is this is James's section of the tour. That's kind of we reserve that till later in the season usually. Yeah, I, I think it's a good sign. You know, this is this is Conrad Conrad's second year now with MVP discs in his bag. So remember it took him a while last year to really find the rhythm. Mm-hmm. And he basically hit the stride at Worlds. Obviously it worked out amazing. And then, you know, it was just a little up and down the whole year. I would not be surprised if we saw James Conrad, like, have a really good season. Like, th- this seems like it could be a, a, like a spark plug kind of event um, for him as he gets started in his year. By the way, yeah. uh, just the, the, I hadn't seen this number out there, so I checked in with uh, Jeff Spring and the Pro Tour all of the players uh, got $1,000 for showing up to the event. The winning team, all the members of the winning team got an additional $500. And then players who finished the top of various like skills competitions got like $250 bonuses. So, okay. uh, you know, not, not a monstrous kind of payout weekend. But, of course, you also get an all-expenses-paid vacation to a resort in, in Tucson. Not bad. Not, I would take it. Not the, not the worst way you could spend your weekend. <laughs> Um, the only other thing that I think would have stood out to me as a kind of a surprise was Adam Hammes not looking as as sharp as I expected, you know, on what it feels like home turf for him. Uh, you know, not necessarily this specific course because of this is a temp course, but you know, we've seen him play so well in Arizona and in the preseason the last couple of years. He's coming off his best season as a pro, no question about it, you know, like pretty clearly a top ten player in the world at this point. And yeah, it just wasn't really sharp this weekend and you know I, I not everybody's gonna have their best day i mean but you know he shot a 998 rated round in singles 
it's kind of surprising for for him playing in, in Arizona. Yeah, well, and especially for a guy who's 1040. I mean, I don't care who you are. If you're a 1040 rated player and you shoot a sub thousand round, it that's it's that's gonna make the surprise list for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when like clearly double digits was available. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, you, d- you didn't end up coming close shooting just three under. So uh, those are some of the things that surprised us. When we come back, we're going to talk about the format and the course and the coverage on DGN. We're also going to talk about some of our biggest takeaways from the weekend as we look ahead to the start of the season. Stick around. It's the Upshot. The Upshot is presented by Pound Disc Golf, makers of the best bags in the sport. Well, the Pound 2022 Ambassadors have been announced, and you've got to hear these names. Nate Sexton, Jeremy Colling, Lisa Fakus, Dustin Keegan, Zoe Andyke, Cole Radalin, Maria Oliva, Vanessa Van Dyken, and Christian Dietrich are all going to be repping Pound. They'll be wearing Pound bags out on the course, and of course they are, because these are the best bags in the game. Go to pounddiscgolf.com to check out your options and get ready for their next custom drop coming at the beginning of February. Welcome back to The Upshot. Well, before we talk about the format of the course and the coverage and our takeaways from the All-Star Weekend, I have some breaking news, Josh. Okay. Literally happening as we are recording I just got this uh, on the wire. Disc Golf Pro Tour is excited to announce its live media plan for the 2022 season. So we are going to see DGN broadcasting all the Elite Series events and the PDGA majors, including both USDGC and the European Open. Oh, okay. And uh, final day live coverage of Elite Series events will still be available for free on YouTube. Uh, Silver Series events will be on DGN only, uh, along with uh, DGPT Match Play Championship. And so, um, you know, we were wondering, Josh, whether or not DGN was going to get the European Open, given that there's this new European disc golf stream or organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, So ultimately, it will be on DGN. And DGN is also going to make individual tournaments and rounds available to purchase for those who do not have a subscription. Starting at $4.99 a round, tournament starting at $9.99. Uh, DGN subscription is going up to $11.99 a month or $99.99 annually. Okay? So last thing here, uh, and this was announced as a part of the PDGA uh, deep, you know, Disc Golf Pro Tour sort of merger. Uh, the PDGA members will have complimentary access to Las Vegas Challenge, the Champions Cup, U.S. Women's, the final two rounds of Pro Worlds, and the MVP Open. So you just get those for free if you're a PDGA member. Um, and PDGA members will continue to receive a discount on subscriptions. So there you go. Your thoughts on the DGA, the DGN live plan this year. I think the biggest news getting them getting the European Open is a big deal. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> we talked about the European stream and how they were able to get significantly more viewers than we expected the first on their first run through, and so we wondered, uh, as you'd mentioned, whether or not they were going to be able to lock down the European Open. It looks like that still is going to be Disc Golf Network for now, and I think that it's it's interesting because that's that's a commitment. That's a, I mean, it's one thing for a player to go over there and take their bag with them. It's a whole nother thing to get all the equipment that is going to be necessary to broadcast that event over in Europe. Uh, that That is going to be quite the ordeal. And I am not envious of the person in charge of logistics of that. Um, but, it, you know, it shows they're committed. And I think that they're trying to continue to remain the streaming network for the, you know, the top level events. I mean... The Disc Golf Pro Tour is a live OTT platform that does other things as well. I mean, I th- like this further confirms for me that like this is their primary revenue stream. Mm-hmm. 
this is the thing that is bringing in the most money. And like maybe sponsorships will get there someday. They've obviously had a lot of success uh, getting some bigger name sponsors in the door. But, you know, we're seeing what happens when you have all of this consolidation. They get all the Elite Series events. They get all the majors under their tent. And they also raise prices. So we're going from, you know, they raised prices last year. And now they're raising prices again from $9.99 to $11.99 a month. Not that I think that's unreasonable. I mean, you look at the inflation we're seeing, look at the prices of like Netflix and stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think some people are probably going to be a little irked by that. Uh, still under $100 for the whole year. I think it's a good deal personally. Uh, but it, it, interesting interesting to see this all uh, playing out the way that it is. And uh, no notes here on whether USDGC will be pay-per-view again. I bet that it will. But we'll I, see. I, I assume that it will as well, but to to be determined. Let me let me see it. Let me let me just double check this and make sure that it doesn't say anything about that. Did did they announce Joe Mez as being lead card coverage for post produced again? They have not announced that yet. Okay. We're actually waiting on a lot of information from the Pro Tour. They have not announced their um, you know, their YouTube post production partners. They have not announced the points how the points are gonna work this year. We don't know how much majors are worth. We don't like. There's no announcement on that yet. We're supposed to get that. I think we were supposed to get that in December, and then we were supposed to get it in January, and then we were supposed to get it February first. And now it's February fifteenth as we're recording this today, and we still haven't seen it. So things are a little behind schedule right now. Uh, but you know, I assume that information will be coming out sometime this week. All right. Let's turn our attention now back to the All-Star Weekend and talk about, uh, let's just talk about the format first. Overall, what did you think of the format with skills competition Friday, doubles on Saturday, and singles on Sunday? I liked it a lot, actually. And I thought it was good going into it, but I liked it even more than I think I expected to, uh, which is, is very complimentary. Really, really good format i think for an all-stars weekend uh this the skills competition were they were interesting uh, the i love doubles doubles is, i i think i'll come back to it but do, doubles is good i like i want doubles again i think it's interesting to see the doubles pairings uh and then the singles matchup ended up like you said being oh it felt like a real tournament in terms of the intensity the players were taking it and i think the other thing that we had talked a lot about and kind of gone back and forth on was the scoring and the value, relative value of different events, because you know at the end of the day, the singles event was worth more than the other two combined. So you could lose all six points from skills and doubles, and if you won singles and swept singles, you could still win. <clears throat> I wasn't quite sure how I felt about that, but looking back, I really enjoy that, because it was enough to kind of set an edge one way or the other, you know, for Paige and Katrina, for example, that it felt like Katrina was playing from behind going into the singles event um, and, and kind of already sets that storyline. Or it just makes for a, you know, clean slate. Let's see the tiebreaker here in the singles event for Calvin and Eagle, uh, which delivered the drama on the, the final hole. I, I may have felt different if it there had been a significant blowout. But I think that it did a good job playing to strengths of different players in a way that was able to balance out competition and ensure that there was good entertainment. And I cared about the results all the way up until the very end. And that, in my opinion, is a successful event. One thing that I think was a little overlooked by us and really, I feel like by everybody, the ranked matchups all the way down through singles and really for doubles, too, where they like power matched based on seed. That naturally creates balance between the teams and created the opportunity for both matches to end 7-6. Mm -hmm. Because you had players who were of a very, you know, close level of, you know, rating and skill to one another being matched up. And I think we overlooked that a little bit. It was easy to look at Team Page and be like, wow, look at all this great firepower. But, you know, it turns out like when Sarah Hokum and Missy Gannon go head to head, I mean, you know, Missy Gannon may have had the slightly better season in 2021, but it's not like that's some kind of total mismatch. And Sarah Hokum won the matchup. Katrina yeah. and Paige. Paige, probably the slightly better player. Katrina won the matchup. 
And so that that balanced out any perceived like overall total skill differential because it, at the end of the day, you're going head to head with one other person. You're not going against the entire team in aggregate. Um, so I, I think, you know, when we went through and we looked at the singles matchups, like we did end up picking a lot of them for team page. But it was even when we did that in, in our sub bonus segment, it was like, well, this this could be a close match. But I think I give it to pay, yeah. team page. And mm-hmm. a lot of those broke the other way. And so I thought that that created like a really nice structure for good, exciting competition. Um, and, you know, I, I I don't know that I would expect it goes down to seven, six every year if you like reran this a bunch of times. But it's certainly going to be close enough to be interesting every time on Sunday by the nature of the fact that singles is worth more than half the points and that you have these head to head matchups that are always going to be at least decently well matched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I give the format very high marks. I, I like it a lot and I hope that it's back next year. We already talked about the distance competition feeling a little too narrow. Uh, I, I, I get the concept there. They didn't just want it to be a like straight up, like wide open salt flats bomb fest. Um, but I also think that they probably went a little too far in the other direction and like, in a distance competition, I don't want it to feel like I'm on I'm on an actual fairway. Like, right. let them open up a little bit. <laughs> um, I loved the putting. I thought it was mm-hmm. the best of the three. It felt like an NBA three-point shooting contest. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, I would like them to lean into that more. Put a shot clock up. Like, you got to get through the whole thing in a certain amount of time with a timer up on the, the stream. And, you know, don't let players just, like, sit and wait 10 seconds for the wind to die down. Like, no. Shoot your putts like but different stations and the various things. I think there's a couple tweaks they could make felt like some of the obstructions only obstructed right handed players, not left handed players. Um, But it was a lot of fun. And how about watching own Scoggins and Heather Young just bury putts? I mean, they are elite putters, period. MPO, FPO, it does not matter. Like I would draft them to my all putting team. Yes, that it was it was really really fun to watch. The one thing I almost want to see that I think would be kind of fun would be to put them next to each other. Set up two baskets and have them putt again like head to head same time. You're watching out of your periphery your opponent. You're watching Owen Scoggins just dropping putts into the basket. Like I I think that could even hype it up. But but I, I was very impressed with it. I thought it was entertaining. I'm with you. I would love a shot clock. Uh, I, I think the other thing kind of th- – there was a general theme. I wish there had been more, I guess, like pomp and circumstance to it all. Like I wanted it to be built up more. I want to see the excitement. I want a putting range that doesn't just look like a dry like dirt field with a tree. I, I feel like you could have done something with it. Slap a basket down in the middle right. of the <laughs> – like that that looks like what I do for putting practice, right? I go find a tree somewhere on my course and I set up a practice basket and I work on putting. Like uh, come on. Like let's put it put it somewhere nice in the resort, right? Like put it put it somewhere where it looks cool and really aesthetically pleasing to have a putting contest there. Uh that that that's my one. I but I felt that way a little bit about the entire weekend. I wish there'd been a little bit more into that to make it feel built up like that kind of all-stars event that it was. Um, accuracy contest for me, the easily the weakest of the three skills competitions. I, I didn't really, I didn't know what they were doing. Like the, 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 the I guess it was like thing. slack lines almost yeah. <laughs> that they had up between the tree. Like there wasn't, there just wasn't a lot of clarity. Like we need some signs with arrows and stuff. And we need to have more graphics integration with the broadcast to get more of a feel for it. It was just a little weak. I felt like the some of it was too difficult, um, like going underneath the Mando. Like that didn't really play very well. They missed it a lot. Uh, I don't know. It, it just was a little lackluster. I mean, I like the concept of an accuracy competition, but it needs to be designed a little bit better than that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I Fine. What do you think of the course? Um, it felt like we 
picked up the memorial and moved it to a resort. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, it was okay. Um, I think that our predictions, kind of the way it was, you know, what, from what we looked at on the caddy book, it was almost exactly what we expected. It was a lot of open shots with maybe one or two near the green things to make it a little interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I was, I was not overwhelmingly surprised or like, like pleased with it. I thought it worked fine for the formats overall and for the singles. I mean, it set up well enough for the event, uh, except I, I will say with the doubles, I, there weren't a lot of separator holes yeah. for a doubles tournament. I mean, that's why you saw so many ties. It wasn't just great players too, you know, yeah, yeah. With the opportunity to get second bites at the apple. A lot of the time means that you're going to have kind of that flattening effect period. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it wasn't blown away, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was, I think I have a little bit of a higher opinion than you. I, okay. I think that there were some holes that were really quite interesting and good. Uh, there was plenty of challenge out there, you know, like players were challenged and there was lots of OB and they got punished by it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely more varied than Memorial in terms of kind of shot shaping and decision making. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're in the desert. There's not that many trees. There's only so much you can do. I think you kind of just have to expect that um, coming in and... So it was it was fine. I thought I thought it was it, it ended up playing a little harder than I expected, which I thought was good because it made it more interesting. Uh it wasn't just like, you know, everybody's getting birdie every hole. It wasn't just a pure putting competition, I guess. Uh, right. Is is the thing that sometimes feels like the memorial can can end up like that. Um the the only other thing I'll say about, you know, sort of the, the format, uh addition of the wild cards was it was just total it was very sloppy at the outset, and it, it, I, I just didn't think it worked at all in in the competition. I mean, I guess it was nice to have double G in the distance contest. That's fun. But otherwise, I mean, we didn't even see wild cards in the doubles competition because, of course, how are you going to have you're adding a seventh person can't do doubles. And then they were basically non-existent in the broadcast coverage during singles. So then what was the point? <laughs> What was the point? Don't do this again, DGPT, okay? Do not get bullied into adding people at the last minute. Set the criteria, make the rules, X number of people get in, and that's what we do. If you want to open it up and make it eight, you know, eight and eight, have 16 players instead of 12, fine by me, but let's have criteria and stick to them and don't do last minute stuff like this. It just, it felt like it devalued it. It was weird. The players were like, you know, Holly Finley's like, I got two hours of sleep because I just flew in because I found out at the last possible minute that I was going to be involved in this thing. I don't know. It's just come on, man. Uh, you know, and maybe maybe this is a little uh, harsh for me to say, but, you know, you said that they're not even on the singles coverage. I'm not can't say I'm disappointed. Uh, those wildcard <laughs> matchups were eight stroke differences uh, yeah. by far the most uneven matchups of the entire tournament holly finley loses to madison walker nine over to one over and yuli loses to garrett girthy one under to nine under uh it was weird well it's, it's, <laughs> add people to the last minute and they're the bottom finishers and singles what a shock yeah yeah um okay so then let's talk about the coverage real quick dgn had coverage uh the final day was free on youtube maybe you saw some of it if you're a subscriber maybe you watched some more of it um, overall thoughts, Josh, on the uh, on the live coverage. First show of the year. The Disc Golf Network was very hyped over the off season because of the announcement of the combination of the National Tour and the Pro Tour, and this was not a great first start. I was very disappointed in the coverage in a lot of ways. Wow. Uh, I I thought the audio was pretty poor. Uh, the camera, there weren't catch cams on some of the shots. I think Paige threw like an upshot, kind of ran a putt that was on a mound with a green behind it. And then they didn't ca like cut to where the disc went in a close matchup on the leader. I was shocked. I was, I was like, what, what just happened? Where's the disc? It wasn't there, but I didn't know. Um, I was disappointed in that. 
there was one part on the MPO side. I don't remember who was putting, but they cut over and they show Heather Young holding a camera while the camera operator was like messing with the audio or his, like his hydro pack or whatever. And then it cuts back to the, the, the coverage of the putter and you can see the camera visibly shaking, which no <laughs> knock to Heather Young. I mean, I'm sure it's a hard job and I couldn't do it, but what? Like what's, what's going on? Um, I wasn't, and oh, geez, why no U disc? Like, for please, wow. I I had no idea what the scores were. It was so hard to follow. I, I was playing in a tournament this weekend, and I had the coverage up on my phone, and I was kind of checking it between shots. Uh, but, like, I went over to U disc. I was like, oh, this would be a perfect way for me to track what's going on. And then there was no U disc. It had PDGA live, but they didn't sort it by matchup. So you just had, like, aggregate scores all the way down. Standard scoreboard. I'm like, this is, this is useless to me right now. I don't have a pen and paper to keep track of this. Yeah. I was not impressed. I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe that's a little cr- overcritical, but a lo- lot of on fixes the plus, that I feel. Yeah. On the plus column. Okay. They showed the shots. Okay. This is one of the things that I always talk about. Like, we want to see the shots. We got to see the shots. Yeah. Right? They did a good job showing the shots. They've gotten very good at, at you know, using stuff out of replay to keep us abreast hmm. of what's happening uh, at, you know, when somebody else is shooting a key drive, they, they, you know, they show us the putts later. That was good. That was good. The, the fundamental problem here is that the format of this event was difficult to stay on top of because of the way that the scoring worked, right? It's not just a standard leaderboard. You have these head-to-head matchups. And the the graphics did not meet the needs of the viewing audience. It's just that simple. It was very difficult to know. What the hell was going on? They would show scoreboards sometimes, but not enough to know what was going on. There were not whole previews, which I get it. That you know they probably didn't get out there and, and film the whole previews, but it meant that we didn't know what the holes w- shapes were. We had people just shooting shots like kind of ran randomly a little bit. It just felt like oh, we're popping over here and we're seeing this person throw a shot, but we don't know what the hole is. A lot of times the commentators weren't even totally sure what was happening. And 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 that is in part because there was no U-Disc. Um, yeah. It shows you how important it is to have that live scoring with the, you know, the, the key fundamentals of like, what are the matchups and who's ahead and, you mm-hmm. know, where are we in the in the course? Now, I think they did the best that they could with the score tools that they had. The DGN folks, I know, like built spreadsheets that were populating graphics, but Ultimately, it just has to be better next time because it was impossible to keep track of what was going on, even if you knew what was going on. Like uh, if you were just a random person who's kind of a casual fan who's just popping in and being like, oh, what's going on with this all star event? You would have no clue, no clue, none. And uh, it shows you how important it is to have like nice, clear graphics just always. But particularly for an event like this, that's not just here's the top five. Well, and the graphic that kept popping up was projected finish, and which, which is nice. Yeah, <laughs> but I want to see the scores. the The only time there was one time that entire broadcast I cared about projected finish, and it was Nico's three stroke swing when he aced. Because at that point, they're like, actually, projected finish now swings because of Nico's. It tied with Mattio, and I was like, oh, cool, that's interesting. The rest of the time, though, they're like. Oh, we're putting right now. Here's our projected finish, and I'm like, that doesn't mean anything to me. What's what's this matchup like? I, I don't. I, and I think part of it, as you're talking about, may be a result of the last minute nature of what I felt like a lot of these things were. Right. I mean, players were announced and told very late. Format was came out later than we expected, so they probably just didn't have these tools that we're talking about ready to go. And the event suffered because of it. It it was harder to follow. I was, I I don't think this is a, I mean, there's a reason this isn't in big takeaways, right? I don't expect this to be the running problems of the Disc Golf Pro Tour this season. No. Um, I think even by LVC, things are going to be looking back to what we expect at the standard of Disc Golf Network. It just felt like after what was such a monumental offseason for them, they kind of tripped and fell on their face out of the gate 
in in this first season. I, I think you have to think about it as like a preseason game. You know, it's like you do. Everybody's knocking the rust off, mm-hmm. and I, I mean there there are specific challenges to trying to like show this event on on live TV effectively. Mm-hmm. And I think that they probably learned some things like later than they wish they had, like, oh, God, how are we going to do these graphics? <laughs> um, so hopefully next year it will be improved on that front. Um, there should just be a lot more clarity on like we need to see whole previews, right? Like these are like little fundamental things that are just required in order for the viewing audience to feel like they're able to keep up with what's going on. Yeah. So let's move over to the big takeaways from this weekend as we kind of look ahead to the season. And I got to start with one right off the top. And this kind of cuts both ways. I'm really interested to get your take on this, Josh. Eagle McMahon clearly limited this weekend, not throwing forehands, not throwing full power, throwing lefty backhands to get that left to right shot shape a lot. He threw them a lot, including on like pretty strong, powerful drives. First things first, this guy is unbelievably talented. Okay. (laughs) You know, like lefty backhand. How far could I throw a lefty backhand off the tee? I mean, I feel like maybe 50% of how far I can throw my regular right-handed backhand. And he's out there like parking drives. It was incredible to watch. On the other hand, Josh, it's a little concerning to see Eagle McMahon having to use a lefty backhand in order to play the course effectively. Now, he certainly did. He was the second best scorer in the singles round. He shot a 12 under despite not having a forehand. That's very impressive. But is it sustainable? What are your thoughts on Eagle's situation right now? he's got to get healthy um this may i think this may work for a period of time for you know the tournaments he plans on playing where he says i probably won't need many forehands um i I think though that very quickly and and i guess that's i mean it's why he's taking the texas swing off it's not sustainable, but honestly, based on this weekend, I think he, I think he's going to be fine uh, at Vegas. I think he's. I don't think it's going to hinder him too much. It may be the difference between him taking first and third, though. I agree with that. That's. I mean, yes, you can get up in the general area. Granted, I mean, he's an amazing putter, and if his range is a hundred feet and in, <laughs> then maybe it'll be fine. Maybe if his if his only need is, yeah, I have to throw a lefty backhand into one within one hundred feet. Maybe I'm completely wrong about this, um, but I think that Eagle's talent and skill with the backhand, both lefty and righty, can carry him to a top five. But when it comes down to the wire, I think it means that Calvin or Paul or Ricky or Sexton or Dickerson or Hamas are probably going to beat him out and he may finish a little lower because of it. Just incredible to watch him throw those <laughs> lefties though. I mean, some of the shots, there's that, that one hole where it's like kind of downhill with the basket to the right and there's mm-hmm. a tree kind of guardian tree and he just throws a perfect drive on Heiser with the left hand. Um, and, you know, has a tap in for birdie. Uh, it was awesome to watch. But yeah. I agree. I mean, I think how how precise can you be with that shot in terms of just managing that power correctly, managing the accuracy correctly? I mean, it's just not going to be as good as his forehand. And I, I do wonder, you know, clearly Eagle McMahon at 80% power, 90% power is still so, so clearly powerful enough to compete at the highest levels of distance on tour that he can still be a winner. So hopefully, you know, once his once his arm is back to normal and he's able to throw forehands again, which hopefully is very soon, he he can maybe just say, you know what, I'm gonna take that five to ten percent off my shots to think about preservation of my arm over the course of the season. And that will be fine. And I I, I really do think it will be fine. Um so uh, you know, imp- impressive to see him do as well as he did. 
Um, and of course, just hitting that bangerang 100 footer from beneath a tree on 18. Uh, you know, the guy who beat him out, Calvin Heimberg. Calvin Heimberg, it's contract year Calvin is about to be a nickname here on the show because this dude <laughs> is looking really good to start the year. He played so well. He played so what was so his rating for the round 1090. I mean, it was. It didn't look like Calvin was breaking a sweat. And he almost beat Double G in the distance competition. Yeah. He was dialed. And it, I. This is this is the Calvin I expected last year. Right. This you have twenty twenty Calvin who plays really well, who is just by far probably the most consistent player on tour. Uh, I don't, you got Dickerson, but, but I mean, very, very consistent known for his consistency inside the top five, just an amazing player. And then 2021 felt lackluster from Calvin. It, it just did not feel like his best season and his rating showed, I mean, he, he dropped out and, and we quit including Calvin when we talked about top tier, we talked Paul, Ricky and Eagle because Calvin just wasn't married quite there. Yeah, it wasn't meriting being a part of that discussion. If Calvin plays like he looked like this weekend, we're going to have no problems talking about Calvin. I mean, yeah, this is this is his shot at it, you know. He he's going to get a big fat contract if he has a great year. And so all the motivation is there. The discs look dialed in. He looks, you know, just he, he has both the technical execution of the shots but also the obvious mentality required to play great golf i mean for him to step up after eagle hits that one and just cash the putt no problem i mean that's the kind of thing that a lot of players just wouldn't be able to do that in that spot even if they're a great putter because the yeah. mental pressure there is you know you're, you're expecting to just have to lay up and then tap in and now all of a sudden you got to make the putt on this difficult circles edge uphill putt great stuff from calvin yeah what else stood out to you? Um, this this kind of goes back to uh, new bags and some players with new bags and some of the storylines that that are that were there. Um, Dickerson disappointed this weekend in a big way. Like Dickerson played bad. Uh, he has not had a lot of time with those discs yet. No, he hasn't. Uh, I think Dickerson shot the worst round relative to his rating of any MPO player. That's right. Uh, so he shoots negative two, a nine eighty nine rated round, uh, which is a 56 points below his rating. That's, uh, that's rough. <laughs> and it's rare to see from him. Uh huh. It's rare to see from him, but I, I, I do think that, that, you know, you have to expect there is some adjustment time and some players have been working like Katrina Allen, for example, who looked fantastic this weekend yes. with her new plastic. She spent months, at least many weeks, in a secluded field just doing field work with her new discs, hiding from everybody so that they wouldn't know that she was making this switch to DGA. And like this had been in the works. Mm -hmm. But remember that Chris Dickerson, right? He like kind of made a last minute exit. And only signed with like when we found out about Discraft Chris Dickerson contract, that was only a couple days after the deal got done. So he hasn't really had that much time with his plastic yet. And like, you know, it's true, Archer not arrows. No question. But the thing is, you know, if I give you a bunch of brand new arrows, you're still gonna have to take some time to figure out how they fly. So I think that's what we're seeing with Chris Dickerson. I'm not really worried long term, but I don't think I'd put him in my top three for LVC. No, and I agree. Not long term. I'm interested to see. I think that the real question is, is, is he going to be ready by Texas Swing? Because, I mean, Texas Swing, those courses are punishing. They There are a lot of technical court, you know, aspects to it. And I think that that's really going to show whether or not he's able to build it by then is how he does that, especially like Texas States, for example. So, um, The uh, Katrina Allen didn't just like play well by the scoreboard she also outshot her rating by 48 points in that singles round wow. that was the best in fpo um over over a thousand rated so 
uh, really, really strong start for Katrina Allen to her year. And uh, DGA's got to be juiced <laughs> about that. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the big questions coming into this year, like Kona Pan is adjusting to do plastic as well, playing with DD. And the call, everybody's wondering, how is the putt going to look? It did not get off to a great start, Josh. Um, emblematic of this weekend was on the 18th hole in the singles round. She had maybe 15 footer. Um, and it's kind of throwing like a hyzer putt now, like coming out on hyzer. And remember last year to start the year, she was throwing an anhyzer putt. So like definitely been trying different stuff. But throws a hyzer putt, 15 footer, complete air ball, does not touch metal, and it, you know, like rolls down the hill, misses the comebacker. And like DGN didn't even show her putting out. Yikes. Um it 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 is not there. It is not there to start the year. And you know, we've heard a lot from from uh, Kona Panis about you know confidence this year and and feeling great about the putt, but it was not looking good. Um and, and I, I you know, this is the big question mark about her game. Uh we'll see. I, I still I don't know about this new putt format. I really I would like to see Kona Panis go in and just work on rock solid fundamentals, flat putt, like take the time to learn how to do it because it, it's just not it's not working right now. Well, and she has circle two putts where she's still using the Annie putt, and there was one that she putts Annie, and it flexes out and and hits the ground on hyzer before it ever even got made to the basket. And she was like on the little birdie or the the little um, marker for circle two, so it's not like she was you know seventy feet out. She was thirty five feet. That and, at least I could chalk up to getting used to the discs. I mean, I guess, but yeah, if <laughs> from from fifteen feet, you should if you are a professional disc golf player making half a million dollars on your contract, you should be able to throw anything in that basket. Like, yeah. I don't care what they give you. It could be a driver. You should be hitting chains, I would hope, from 15 feet. And and it's a mental game. It's But but it's not just a mental game. I mean, it is partially mental game. But like you said, it, it does not look like Kona's putt even has the fundamentals to be a good putt. I mean, it's just like, you know, trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. I get it. Because you just got to find something that you're comfortable with and can be consistent with. But yeah, it's, uh, it's not there yet. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but is Deanne Carey going to be a problem this year? Because that's one of the things that I really come away from this weekend thinking, wow, Deanne Carey, impressive. Um, you know, beats Heather Young for the second straight time after going 0 for 21 uh, in her first 21 matchups at tournaments with Heather Young. And I pulled up. I pulled up her round ratings, uh, and since September, she's averaging 946 rated golf. And to put that in context a little bit, she's currently rated 934. And at the beginning of 2021, she was rated 916. Okay? So in a year, she's gone up almost 20 points in her rating and is currently averaging, you know, over the last 30 or so rounds a solid another 10 or 12 points above her rating, her current rating. So Deanne Carey on the ascent in FPO. Well, well, 946, I mean, that puts her around the Lisa Fakis, Jessica Weiss, Kona Panis mark in terms of rating. I mean, don't forget, Lisa Fakis was a contender at Worlds. Oh, yeah. Like, that That is a rating. Do, do I expect Deanne Carey to go out and win multiple elite series events probably not i expect her to win some silver series a silver series at least and i, I expect her to probably podi i i think she could probably podium uh if the cards go her i mean if, if, if it falls her way if things just set up right i could see her podium at yeah. a tournament i mean kona panis won on the lead series event last year she did at least fake yeah, won I, multiple silver series and i think it shows the depth of the FPO field that we are, I mean, there are players that are accelerating to the point in that field where here's the people we expect to win. 
here's the people that could win on any given weekend. And Dean Carey is in that group now. And I think that group is slowly expanding. Um, and it, it, I mean, MPOs is enormous. And I think that FPOs is, is working on catching up. Well, it was a very interesting weekend overall. Nine days away from the start of the season at Las Vegas Challenge. It's a four-day tournament. Starts next Thursday. So we got three more shows coming your way before the start of that event. And we're going to start getting you ready for the season. It's going to be all season preview from here to the start of LVC. We've got a bunch of fun segments coming your way. So make sure to stay tuned for all of that. That is going to do it for today's show. For Josh Mansfield, I'm Charlie Eisenhood. It's so long. And we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on The Upshot. Upshot.